It's Monday. It's morning. It's McComb. Hey, it's Darcy and uh, Scones. Scones. And hey, Scones. Hey. And welcome to Monday Morning Macabre, the podcast with the strongest intros in the podcast game. I can't name one better one. I can't name anything. I've lost my ability to speak English. This is the podcast where we talk about uh, about spooky, creepy, spooky stuff that varies from 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 true crime to mystery to urban legends, urban legends, glizzy dogs, all of the creepiest things in your life. We chat about them, and each week one of us brings a spooky story. I want to say off the top of the of the show, shout out to all the people who have purchased merch and have I don't know what the word subscribed to the Patreon. Yeah, who have patronized us? Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, we really appreciate it. It it very much helps, and you get that extra bonus tent, and you get to wear a, a fun a fun shirt or hoodie, or what have you. So fun. So thank thank you all for doing that. You're all the sweetest girls and boys. <laughs> You're all our children. <laughs> so thanks so much. Don't you want to say anything to, about that? I don't know. I don't want to. I mean, it's amazing that anyone has done anything to support us. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing I've lived to see Yeah. Tomorrow. We appreciate beyond your comprehension. You don't under, you can't possibly You fathom. don't understand. We have everyone who's a Patreon member, we have printed out pictures of your faces. <laughs> We've put them on a wall in a shrine and we blow and you kisses. And put them all morning. over town. <laughs> yep. And said, wanted these people. So you might get bounty hunters coming and knocking because we put a real high reward on that bad boy. Yep. Anywho, let's get to what you're here for, which is talking about crazy stuff. Uh, How today, crazy gonna, is it? It's so crazy, dude. Today I'm going to be bringing uh, old Sconey Baloney the, uh, the tale, the mystery. This is something that has been requested uh, by multiple individuals. Ooh. Uh, it's a tale as old as time, and by that I mean about fi- about 50 years, but that's basically time. If you're over 50, you, you predate time. You're a primordial. <laughs> yeah, you're from the ooze. Greater than 50, from the ooze. So, today, Scones, we're going to be talking about the old mystery of D.B. Cooper. <gasps> Coopies! Coopies. DB Daddy Butter Cooper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm pretty sure is what that stands for. <laughs> so, Scones. I bet, I'm sure you've seen without a paddle. <laughs> You'd be correct. I, I th- <laughs> you're sure, and I'm you positive. should be absolutely sure. You rave about Seth Green on a daily I basis. Has seen without a paddle. I love <laughs> without a paddle. I think I think that's everybody's introduction to DB Cooper. Is a 2000 early 2000s uh, buddy comedy. I don't know. If it's buddy comedy. 2004. I guess it's comedy. Is it 2004? That sounds yep. right. Anyway, DB Cooper, a, a legend. Legendary figure of unknown origin, mystery, uh, suspense, conspiracy. The world wants to know. 
Who is who is DB Cooper? I want to know who he is. And Scones, I'm here to tell you who he is because I'm I'm pretty sure I figured it out. <laughs> you you got it. <laughs> I, I think it was me. No, I think we'll get to it. But I'm like, I think we can probably just say it was this person. So I'm excited. Let us begin. Deborah Cooper. On Thanksgiving Eve, November 24th, 1971, a middle-aged man carrying a black attache case approached the flight counter of Northwest Orient Airlines at Portland International Airport. He identified himself as Dan Cooper and used cash to purchase a one-way ticket on Flight 305, a 30-minute trip north to Seattle. Cooper boarded the aircraft, the Boeing 727-100, and took seat 18C. Ooh. It, ooh, yeah, that's the spookiest. Oh, he needs, he's not getting stuck in the middle. Yeah, no, he's got himself a nice seat in the rear of the passenger cabin. Cooper was a quiet man who appeared to be in his mid-40s wearing a business suit with a black tie and white shirt. He ordered a drink, bourbon and soda, while the flight was taking off. Bourbon and soda, classic, classic uh, mysterious legend drink. I'm craving a, a bourbon and soda right now. A B and C? Dude, might might make some bourbon and sodas and jump out of a plane later. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Feeling <laughs> feeling kind of... Feeling cute. <laughs> <laughs> feeling cute. Might, might drink a bourbon and soda later. So, Flight 305, approximately one-third full, departed Portland on schedule at 2.50 p.m. Shortly after takeoff, Cooper handed a note to Florence Schaffner, the flight attendant situated nearest to him in a jump seat attached to the aft stair door. Schaffner, assuming the note contained a lonely businessman's phone number, dropped it unopened into her purse. So this lady's probably getting phone numbers all goddamn day. If she's just like, oh, another one, I'm going to just throw this in the purse, not even look at it. She's like, "I, I know what this is about. Cooper leaned toward her and whispered, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. <laughs> Strong opener. Yeah, that's how you that's how you uh, make yourself That's remembered. how you land a date. <laughs> if you're on Tinder, make that your next opening message. Man, next you may you- want to swipe right. <laughs> I have a bomb. I have a bomb. <laughs> the note was printed in neat all capital letters with a felt tip pen. Its exact wording is unknown because Cooper later reclaimed it, but Schaffner recalled that the note said that Cooper had a bomb in his briefcase. After Schaffner read the note, Cooper told her to sit beside him. Schaffner did as requested, then quietly asked to see the bomb. See, already in the DMs, brother. <laughs> Cooper opened his briefcase long enough for her to <laughs> glimpse eight red cylinders attached to wires coated with red insulation and a large cylindrical battery. After closing the briefcase, he stated his demands. $200,000 in, quote, negotiable American currency. What does that mean? I think it means pogs. I think he wants $200,000 <laughs> worth of pogs. <laughs> Although that was the 80s. They better right? have Alf on them. <laughs> this is this is early 70s, so maybe that's not, maybe that's a little too early, but. Oh, it's that's too early how, for Alf. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it. He's like, I need $200,000 of Alf, and I know you don't know who that is for another like 10 years, but. But you better get stepping because I got a bomb. So he wanted $200,000 in a negotiable American currency, four parachutes, two primary and two reserve and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Schaffner conveyed Cooper's instructions to the pilots in the cockpit, and when she returned, Cooper was wearing dark sunglasses. Because he's like, this is about to become an action movie, I gotta throw on these shades. The pilot, William A. Scott, who formerly served for the United States Army Air Forces during World War II, contacted Seattle-Tacoma Airport Air Traffic Control, which in turn informed local and federal authorities. 
The 35 other passengers were given false information that their arrival in Seattle would be delayed because of, quote, minor technical difficulties. Northwest Orient's president, Donald Nyrup, authorized payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to cooperate fully with the hijackers' demands. Now, I I have run into... Okay, this the whole thing where the pilot's like, oh, we have minor uh, mechanical difficulties. I was in Dublin, coming home from Dublin at the end of my honeymoon last year. Ooh. And I'm, I'm sitting... Yeah, I had a honeymoon, no big deal. Uh, feeling cute. And <laughs> on my way home... We our, our flight got delayed because of minor mechanical issues, and in my head, I am I have a severe for all listeners. I have a terrible uh, phobia of flying. I, I it, it freaks me out. I I'm convinced I'm gonna die. So I heard that, and I was like, oh no, there there's something is wrong with the plane. The plane's gonna go down. It freaked me out. Super. There's a gremlin bad. on the side of the plane. Yeah, basically, essentially. And now, and I was like, they're just covering up a real bad issue by saying minor mechanical issue. And then I read this and I was like, I, mu- I fucking knew it. <laughs> I, they had a guy with a bomb on the plane, hundred percent. I'm convinced. So anytime they say something like that, it, it, it's never a minor mechanical difficulty. It's always, it's a DB always Cooper. DB Cooper. <laughs> it's the this same happens guy. monthly at airlines. So. They claim there's a mechanical difficulty. The aircraft circles the Puget Sound for approximately two hours to allow Seattle police and the FBI sufficient time to assemble Cooper's parachutes and ransom money and to mobilize emergency personnel. Flight attendant uh, Tina Mucklauer recalled that Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain. At one point, he remarked, looks like Tacoma down there as the aircraft flew above it. He also correctly mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive at the time from Seattle Tacoma Airport. Schaffner crime him. How did that come up? He was just like looking out the window. He's like, "Oh, that looks like Tacoma. Did you know that the airport is only 20 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. like Do you know that I'm very familiar with the layout? <laughs> yeah. Can you tell that I'm from around here and that'll help you make a profile against me?" So Schaffner described him as calm, polite, and well-spoken and not at all consistent with the stereotypes popularly associated with air piracy at the time. She said he wasn't nervous, he seemed rather nice, and he was never cruel or nasty. He ordered a second bourbon and soda, paid his drink tab, and offered to request meals for the flight crew during the stop in Seattle. So he's like a nice guy. You know, he's being a chill dude. He's a real Real, gentleman. real, Real chill guy. Hey, hashtag chill guy, pill guy. FBI agents assembled the ransom money from several Seattle area banks, 10,000 unmarked $20 bills, most with serial numbers beginning with the letter L, indicating issuance by the Federal Reserve Bank. So, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, they get the money together, they get all the stuff, and then the plane lands. So at 5.24 p.m., Cooper was informed that his demands had been met and that 5.39 the aircraft landed at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. It was more than an hour after sunset, and Cooper instructed Scott, to taxi the jet to an isolated, brightly lit section of the apron and close each window shade. To deter snipers, Northwest Orient's Seattle operations manager, Al Lee, approached the aircraft in street clothes to avoid the possibility that Cooper might mistake his airline uniform for that of a police officer. He delivered the cash-filled knapsack and parachutes to Mucklau via the aft stairs, and once the delivery was complete, Cooper ordered all passengers, Schaffner and senior flight attendant Alice Hancock, to leave the plane. So he got his stuff... And he's like, all right, everyone get off this crazy plane. We're just flying with me and my boys in the cockpit. <laughs> so everyone out, cool just me and the boys. And me and the boys out and about feeling cute might bomb IDK. So during refueling, Cooper outlined his flight plan to the, clock, 
wow, to the cock crew. <laughs> the boys. The boys, the, a.k.a. the boys. During refueling, Cooper outlined his flight plan to the cockpit crew. He wanted to go towards Mexico City at the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft. And then the, the pilot was basically like, hey, I can't go that slow because this plane like won't be able to actually fly stay, stay. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say stay afloat uh but yeah it would be like hey we'd, we'd crash and he's like all right fine uh land in Reno Nevada instead so they're like all right bet so the boys take off the the plane takes off at approximately 7:40 it takes off with only five people on board the flight attendant Mocklow DB Cooper, the pilot Scott, the co-pilot Ratazak, and flight engineer Harold E. Anderson. Now, while they're flying to Nevada, two F-106 fighter crafts were scrambled from McCord Air Force Base and followed behind the airliner, one above and one below to keep out of Cooper's view, which I thought was kind of cool. That is kind of cool. I was like, I would never have thought of that, but like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So they're like, hey, we might have to shoot this plane down. Let's go. So start blasting. <laughs> get that itchy trigger finger going uh they also had a lockheed t33 trainer which is not a shoe brand it is a plane i guess it's an air national guard plane that also shadowed the 727 in total they had five different planes like flying around this thing so after takeoff cooper told mucklow to join the rest of the crew in the cockpit and remain there with the doors closed as she complied, Mucklow observed Cooper tying something around his waist. At approximately 8 p.m., a warning light flashed in the cockpit, indicating that the aft air stair apparatus had been activated. The crew's offer of assistance via the aircraft's intercom system was curtly refused, and the crew soon noticed a subjective change of air pressure, indicating that the aft door was open. At approximately 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement significant enough to require trimming to bring the plane back to a level flight. And then at 10.15 p.m., the aircraft's air, aft air stair was still deployed when Scott and Radizak landed the 727 at Reno Airport. FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff's deputies, and Reno police surrounded the jet as it had not yet been determined with certainty that Cooper was no longer aboard, but an armed search quickly confirmed his absence. So sometime between 8.13 and 10.15, Cooper jumps from the plane. He, he, it, he yeets himself off. This is not a movie. This happened. This is a guy. That's the this coolest is just a part. This, this dude is just eats some dude. This dude watches TV. This dude sucks down. He uh, sucks down chili dogs, bourbon sodas. Yeah, he slurps chili down chili dogs, <laughs> chili dogs, and bourbon sodas. He doesn't give a fuck, dude. And he just he just bounces out the plane. So, if you know anything about the DB Cooper story, you know that he is never caught. He successfully gets 200 grand, hijacks a plane, parachutes out of the plane, and is never seen again. I looked it up. It's $1,260,000 in today's Yeah, equipment. so a little over a mil in today's currency. And he just like pulls off like a James Bondian heist of the century. Now, there's a lot of speculation, obviously, as to whether he survives the crash, uh, who he is, where, what did he do with the money? Where is he? So, the FBI has a whole webpage on this. You can go to FBI.gov and and read all about the D.B. Cooper hijacking like I did, which is just so weird to think. But So, 
FBI agents recover 66 unidentified latent fingerprints aboard the airliner. Uh, latent fingerprint is just a fingerprint you can see, like, you can take a picture of it. It's, you know, it's a visual fingerprint. Agents also found Cooper's black clip-on tie, his tie clip, and two of the four parachutes, one of which had been opened and two lines cut from its canopy. Authority interviewed eyewitnesses in Portland, Seattle, and Reno, and all who personally interacted with Cooper, and they made composite sketches. So you can look it up. There's a popular composite sketch of what D.B. Cooper looks like, both with and without his sunglasses on. He looks kind of like Joe Latruglio. Yeah, he does look kind of like... Joe Latruglio could be D.B. Cooper. Boyle on Brooklyn Nine-Nine is just... I was going to say, yeah, nobody <laughs> is listening is like, oh yeah, Joe Latruglio. I know him. Uh, watch Wet Hot American Summer, as an aside. So... Local police and FBI agents immediately begin questioning possible suspects and they get like more than 800 possible suspects, but they eliminate all but like two dozen. Also, there's a guy in Oregon named D.B. Cooper, <laughs> which sucks for that guy. Yeah, that, that really blows. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since like, like was his name or what he told them actually D.B. Cooper didn't have something no. to do with the, yeah. yeah the- his name was, or he said Dan Cooper, but. It was purport. Uh, the the theory is that it was reported incorrectly to the press, and the press picked it up as DB Cooper. But everything, right. all so of the eyewitnesses that, say Dan. If I'm that DB Cooper, the other one yeah. in Oregon, I'm even more pissed. <laughs> not only did my you name. not do it, yeah, it's not even the right name. Also, he had a minor police record, so he was super suspected. Oh man, <laughs> which his house was surrounded. <laughs> yeah, and then he was also like, "Why would I ever use? If I was doing that, why would I use my real name? You ding dongs." So that's probably a solid alibi. So a precise search area was difficult to define because of the aircraft's speed and environmental conditions along the flight path. And they also don't know the exact time when he jumped out. So they really didn't have a good area to like search. Yeah. They tried to recreate the flight in an attempt to get an, like, an idea of the, the latitude and longitude that it went through. But they realized like, we, this is not going to work. They concluded that at 8.13 p.m. it was the most likely the jump time. But at that moment, the aircraft was flying through a heavy rainstorm. So that's why they think no other craft saw him actually jump. What a clever bastard. Or yeah, a lucky this dude, bastard. This dude really <laughs> dotted his eyes and put hearts over them and sent a cute letter. And said, to have a great summer. It's, yeah, it says, see you next to... Nope. <laughs> see you <laughs> What is this? Darcy, I think I have have something to tell you about the messages you got in your yearbook. (laughs) My yearbook was full of, it said, see you next Tuesday. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) What is it? Hags. Have a great summer. Is that what you said? Did you say have a great summer? Yeah, I did. Oh, well, I fucked everything up. (laughs) Anyway, so after the spring thaw in early 1972, a year after. Dude, the spring thaw? Yeah, spring thaw. Teams of FBI agents aided by some 200 Army soldiers from Fort Lewis, along with Air Force personnel, National Guardsmen, and civilian volunteers, conducted another thorough ground search of the Clark and Cowlitz counties for 18 days in March, and then an additional 18 days in April. They didn't find nothing. They did not find nothing? They did not find nothing. They're like, dang, we did not find (laughs) nothing. So, DB is vanished. Now, they're like, okay... We can't find the man, but maybe we can find the cash. So they they search for the ransom money. 
A month after the hijacking, the FBI distributed lists of the ransom serial numbers to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted significant cash transactions, and also to different law enforcement agencies around the world, hoping that they would somehow find one of the bills and they could tell where he went, right? Yeah. I, I, I saw this, which I thought was clever. Uh, in 1972, two men used counterfeit $20 bills printed with Cooper serial numbers to swindle 30 grand from a Newsweek reporter <laughs> by saying That's... that they have an interview, that they would do an interview with them if claiming that they were D.B. Cooper. And I was like, those are some smart, smart, smart kids right well, there. Did they get away with it? I mean, yeah. That's sick. Yeah, I know. Good for them. Yeah. And that gotta, gotta play your way to the top. And that world. interviewer was Albert Einstein. <laughs> So they eventually, in 2016, they suspended the search. The FBI announced that it was suspending active investigation of the Cooper case, citing a need to focus its investigative resources and manpower on issues of higher and more urgent priority, which is crazy that for like 40 years, they're like still trying to find this dude. Yeah. Who's at this point, how old? Like, yeah, he would be, if he was, they were saying like mid thirties, mid forties, when he was on the plane, he'd be almost dead. If Yeah. He mean his like 70s, 80s. So I'm going to recap some of the evidence that they got. There's only four pieces of evidence that are definitely linked to D.B. Cooper that have turned up between 1978 and 2017. In 1978, a placard printed with instructions for lowering the aft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter near a logging road about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington, which was technically within Flight 305's basic flight path. So they're like, okay, that's interesting. That's that points to someone who did a bunch of research and was in the same area as DB. On February 10th, 1980, eight-year-old Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family on the Columbia River at a beachfront known as the Tina Bar, about nine miles downstream from Vancouver. He uncovered three packets of the ransom cash as he raked the sandy riverbank to build a campfire. The bills were significantly disintegrated, but still bundled in rubber bands. FBI technicians confirmed that the money was indeed a portion of the ransom. Ew. Yeah. Two packets of of $120 bills each and a third packet of 90, all arranged in the same order as when given to Cooper. So, they're like, oh, snap. So, he never even, like, touched that one. So, they don't know. They don't know if he either, if he didn't survive the jump and the money just, like, found its way to where it was. They don't know if he dumped some of it, and they also don't know if he was, like, hiding some of it in this area. So, big question marks coming out of that. So then, here's the the top theories, and I want to talk about one individual specifically that I think has a, has some credence as to potential being... Some credence Clearwater Revival? Yeah, some CCR. He, had a, he saw Bad Moon Rising and was like... Oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's... Keep going. How many yes. puns can you make? Uh, and then he said, "Okay, I'm a I'm a fortunate son." Uh, Keep going. He was he was born on a bayou, right? Heard it through the grapevine. He's heard it through the grapevine. <laughs> this is such a specific. It's a very old band too. Most yeah. people probably will not. Yeah. I only know these because my dad is a big fan. Anyway, dude, CC Cooper confirmed. Ew. Okay, so here's some of the suspects. I'll read the ones that are like interesting. The first interesting one, who definitely <laughs> no wasn't Dean Cooper people. in my mind. I'm gonna be very biased here, but I'm I'm I would be it would be insane. Uh, John List. 
Okay. I don't know if you know who John List is, but... I do not. Okay, so he is an insane human being who murdered his wife and three teenage children. 15 days. Yeah, he's a real piece of piece of shit. That was, he murdered them 15 days before the Cooper hijacking and he withdrew 200,000 from his mother's bank account and disappeared. So he did take that same monetary amount after murdering his entire family. And he does kind of resemble the picture. However, he himself denied any involvement in the Cooper hijacking. And although his name continues to crop up in Cooper articles and documentaries, no substantial evidence implicates him and the FBI no longer considers him a suspect. He died yeah, in prison. He admits to like killing his whole family, but that's yeah, the, not being the Cooper hijacking Cooper, like, was the one thing that. Yeah, he's he was like an insane religious nut who like thought he was saving them from burning in hell. Real piece of shit. Oh, shit. Did you yeah. see where he killed his family? Yeah, in Westfield, New Jersey. Oh, I didn't put that together. Uh, he killed geez. his family in Westfield, New Jersey. If you're listener. a long-time listener, first-time <laughs> caller, you know, dude, what if he? That's where the Watcher is. That's from where the Watcher's from. That's nuts. I didn't realize that. That's uh, like our like third or fourth episode. Episode like. number two, I think. Ooh. But yeah, that's, so that's crazy. A, man, what a shitty Dude, town. Westfield, New Jersey has it all, baby. So I'm going to now tell you who I think it is based on a lot of evidence that is that I will say into your ears now. Say, say me Here that evidence. I've always been ears. good at, at this. Um, Take the, the evidence out of the pizza oven with that big wooden mm, that like, big, yeah, that spatula big and then put it right in my ears. Thingy. All right, here we go. Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Old Floyd McCoy. <laughs> yep. Old Dick McCoy. So Dickie Floyd McCoy? Dickie Floyd McCoy Jr. was an army veteran who served two tours of duty in Vietnam, first as a demolitions expert and later with the Green Berets as a helicopter pilot. After his military service, he, he became a warrant officer in the Utah National Guard and an avid recreational skydiver with aspirations, he said, of becoming a Utah State Trooper. Could you imagine going to Vietnam twice, flying helicopters and being a demolitions expert and being like, you know what? My aspiration is to become a state trooper. Like, boy, I, I hope I can reach loves that just height. serving it's in uniform. Just, yeah, oh, true. On April 7th, 1972, McCoy staged the best known of the so-called copycat hijackings. <laughs> he literally did it again. He, was like, he just read about it and was like, hey, I can do that. He literally did it. So he, but this time it was five hundred thousand dollars. Oh, he had to so up the ante. He had to up the ante. Buried too much in a riverbed. He literally did the same thing, like again. I again, I'm 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 assuming I'm putting this from the perspective that he is indeed DB Cooper, but like the dude just did it again. It can't be that easy. <laughs> you have to be a very special human being to be able to do this, and for a dude to just be like, oh yeah, I just did it. Like I don't believe that that is not related. And I, I feel find like that everything has to go right. Yeah, right. So he was eventually arrested on April 9th with ransom cash in his possession. So the second one did not go as smoothly as the first, assuming he was D.B. Cooper. He received a 45-year sentence for it, but two years after his initial incarceration, he escaped from Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary with several accomplices by crashing accomplices by crashing a garbage truck through the main gate. Dude, this guy needs a movie. Yeah, this dude literally is a movie star. He was tracked down three months later in Virginia Beach and was killed in a shootout with FBI agents. 
1991, a book entitled D.B. Cooper, The Real McCoy. Hey, hey clever, they clever. They didn't say like Floyd Dick McCoy or whatever we said. Floyd Dick McCoy is they, a sweet name. <laughs> way better title, in my opinion. So That's not his name, but that's a sick name. <laughs> Floyd Dick McCoy. Okay, you can be scones. I'm now Floyd Dick McCoy. <laughs> Parole officer Bernie Rhodes and former FBI agent Russell Kalame, uh asserted that they had identified McCoy as Cooper. They cited obvious similarities in the two hijackings. Claims by McCoy's family that the tie of the mother of Pearl tie clip left on the plane belonged to McCoy and McCoy's own refusal to admit or deny that he was Cooper. A proponent of the theory was the FBI agent who killed McCoy. When I shot Richard McCoy, he said, I shot D.B. Cooper at the same time. Solid evidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they like reference that like evidence, but... Bullet really hit him like it would have hit D.B. <laughs> yeah, the... Cooper. <laughs> yeah, the bullet went straight through his body just like exactly how I imagined it would have to D.B. <laughs> if I shot D.B. Cooper <laughs> in the same exact spot. That dude is such a hardo. What the fuck? Yeah. He's the local bar. He just wanted to be like, I killed D.B. Cooper. He's like, yeah, I killed a, I've killed a bunch of people, but none of them, none of them had the same feeling as the one that went through that guy. <laughs> Felt real D.B. like. That bullet just hits different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so also the picture has a decent resemblance to D.B. Cooper. Like if you look at Richard McCoy Jr. and look at this composite sketch, like. Yeah, it does. It's pretty similar. Same hair, same eyes, cute as a button. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's who I personally believe is D.B. Cooper. But this mystery has stood the test of time because there has never been 100% evidence proof of who or how or why D.B. Cooper did what he did. And he is maybe the, the one of the biggest legends in in mystery dude's a legend absolute legend he could drink like eight beers dude but he preferred a bourbon and soda (laughs) but he liked bourbon and soda kid they never asked the guy if he like sucked down bourbon and soda actually yeah that's really all you had to do if you want to talk to floyd dick mccoy (laughs) (laughs) how many of these bourbons and sodas you suck down yeah it's like the scene where they walk into like the visiting time at the prison with like a bourbon and soda and he's like he starts sweating and staring at it. And you're like, sweating and staring, sweating and staring. Sweating and staring, that's Floyd Dick McCoy. Sweating and staring, that's Floyd Dick McCoy. Sweating and staring, that's Floyd Dick McCoy. That's that new CCR. We're starting to ban everyone. Um, it's called you- Clarence Clearwater. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's called Reviving Clarence Clearwater. It's that. It's what I just said. Um, <laughs> check us out at your local coffee shop. We'll be at all of your local coffee shops. And then some, just some little things that happened because of the hijacking. It marked the beginning of the end for unfettered and unscrutinized commercial airline travel. 31 hijackings were committed in the U.S. airspace in 1972, which is insane. That's, I don't, that number I would be very high. hesitant to fly with that. <laughs> yeah. And 19 of them were for the specific purpose of extorting money or That's reaching Cuba. Bad. So a lot of aircraft and airport security changes happened because of D.B. Cooper. And... He's a he's a legend. I that's the story of DB Cooper. That's the tale. I'm pretty sure it's Richard McCoy, Floyd, Dick, Floyd. <laughs> but you can look it up. Come up with your own ideas of who did it, who done it, who flew it. You know who who flew it, who flew it. Huey, Huey flew it. Huey flew it in the news, and the news is in. It was Floyd Dick McCoy. Now, 
let us know who you think it was because I'd love to hear you're crazy. It's probably someone's everyone's or if like, it oh, was you. Yeah, it was DB Cooper. Are you a listener? Are you a Patreon subscriber subscriber? He better be with that much money. With that much money, he can spare six dollars. <laughs> I hope. Well, that's a that's another one of the books, folks. That's our show tonight. That's our show tonight. I'd like to thank Creedence Clearwater Revival uh, <laughs> for the research. Floyd Dick McCoy. Yeah, Floyd Dick McCoy for being the legend that he is. Uh, I'd like to thank the Glizzy Boys and the Cock, boy, the cock Boys. The, <laughs> the no, what is it? The Cock Crew. <laughs> yeah, the Cock Crew in the, in the pit. <laughs> and... Follow us on our socials, Monday Morning Macabre on Instagram, MMMacabrePod on Twitter, MondayMorningMacabre.com for all your merch and Patreon and all that jazz. That's sick, sick merch. And you too can some... look like scones. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, human flesh face masks up there. We shouldn't show what our faces look like ever. We should just have these same sketchings that people have of <laughs> D.B. Cooper, but of us. <laughs> That's a very good idea. Actually, I think there'll be new merch coming soon. Uh, New merch coming soon? Yeah, I'm pretty sure something's in the pipeline. Keep you updated Darcy, there on our socials. do you take U.S. dollars? Yeah, with uh, negotiable U.S. currency, you can use... Do we, to... do we ship in... Yeah, we ship. Galactic. We're, we're, we're Mr. Worldwide. Should we ship intergalactic? Yeah, planetary as well. So, anyway, have a good Monday. Boy! Boy!